everyone, and welcome to another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. I'm very glad to have you listening this week as I am recording this from up in Saratoga Springs. Pretty exciting to see um, everybody getting settled as far as some horses shipping in up here, getting set for the meet, which will be here before we know it for Saratoga kicking off July 15th. Um, but it's kind of nice to see a lot more activity and buzz around downtown, especially versus what we had last year during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, also that excitement of all the two-year-olds coming up. We just wrapped up recently the Phasic Tipton uh, Mid-Atlantic two-year-old sale at Timonium. Last week spoke with Phasic's Reed Ringler about it. This week, we'll be speaking to um, some people that were very active at that two-year-old sale recently. We're also about a week and a half away from the Belmont Stakes, the final leg of the Triple Crown. No Triple Crown runner, uh, no Triple Crown winner, I should say, on the line this year, but that does make for a very, very competitive and pretty wide open Belmont Stakes coming up on June 5th. And of course, as I work at Naira, uh, looking forward to, of course, all the undercard stakes and everything coming up too. So on next week's show, right before the Belmont Stakes, we'll have a big preview of uh, some of the big runners and some of the big names that we may see leading into that Belmont day. But today I've got some fun guests. And as always, I hope you enjoy and very glad to have you on this week's episode of In the Ring. Very happy to welcome in now my friend Tom Bellhouse, Chief Operating Officer of West Point Thoroughbreds. Tom, thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to have you on. Good morning, Acacia. Me too. So West Point Thoroughbreds, as um, I've talked quite a bit about actually on this show, a syndicate, of course, I think a, a great way for people who are interested in getting involved in the game. And that's actually how you started as an owner with West Point before you got into your current position. Tell me a little bit about that beginning and how it brought you to where you are. Yeah, I, I, uh, I you know, my, my love for horse racing, my love for horses, uh, just like yourself, dates back to, to childhood. And uh, I grew up on Long Island and my grandparents lived probably two or three miles from Belmont Park, literally right down Hempstead Turnpike. And uh, I remember, you know, it was kind of a heyday for racing at that time with we had just gotten over the triple crown with secretariat and the Aladar and affirmed and ruffian and forgo and you know being introduced to the sport at that time uh i just i couldn't get enough of it and you know i rode horses as a boy and and then to actually be around thoroughbreds at the track going to breakfast at belmont and steve cawthon was was just bursting onto the scene he was I guess he was like two years older than me. And I just, you know, I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And, um, you know, so always had a passion for racing and no matter what I else, other things I had done in life, you know, always had a love for it. And I, I went to college up in upstate New York in a, uh, a state school called Oswego, Oswego state right on Lake Ontario. And I loved it up there and had a great time. And, uh, when I graduated, I actually stayed living upstate, um, and and really uh you know spent almost 20 years up there i just love the area and and really uh you know i owned a small business and did a bunch of different things and uh later on i moved into corporate america and you know i moved back down to new york area and was really kind of my quality of life was kind of a little diminished at that point mm -hmm. and i'd always followed racing and I'd, I'd read about this thing this new concept sort of like partnerships and you know dogwood stable and cot campbell and mm -hmm. and i ran across probably in the 
late 90s, I ran across something on this new thing called the World Wide Web and, <laughs> and about West Point thoroughbreds. And I think West Point at the time, Terry will tell you, we're probably one of the first companies ever to have a website in thoroughbred racing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we became friends and over a, a number of years, you know, I followed them and, I, you know, would go to races all over uh, just like I normally would, but really had a, a real in, rooting interest in West Point. And in about 2003, 2004, I got involved as an owner, a partner. Uh, and I did that for four or five years. And in 2008, I took the vow of poverty. And Terry asked me, uh, you know, what's the least amount of money you could live off of? And I joined the company. <laughs> and uh, uh, just going forward, if anybody ever asks you, what's the least amount of money you can live off of just double the number that you have in mind. <laughs> I think that's good advice. But I, I mean, tell me a little bit about what that means to be able to have a position like you do in something that you are so passionate about. You mentioned Terry Finley and he always says, you know, if you could bottle that winning feeling that you're able to give to people through your syndicate, that has to be rewarding at the end of the day. Yeah, it, it truly is. And, and it, you know, that is, you know, when you, I believe Tom Albatrani said it best to me one day when you when you when you're in an industry where 80 percent of the time you're not going to win or be successful. Mm -hmm. You really have to enjoy the highs. And, um, you know, one of the things as as our company has grown and gotten bigger, a concern I had uh, was just on the team. You know, a lot of what happens isn't good news. Horses mm-hmm. get injured, horses need time off, horses, you know, we get a bad trip in a race. So all of these things that, you know, happen for some people aren't positive. So you really need to enjoy the good times of when you have some success or, and in my case, just really have just a love of the game and enjoy being around it and enjoy being out in the mornings and, and, and smelling the, smelling the air and having a coffee and listening to the, the hoof beats. I mean, it, it's, it's something that, um, you know, I feel really blessed that, you know, I, it was a pretty big move when I jumped to West Point. You know, I was a director for a division of Chrysler uh, in the Northeast, uh, one of their smaller divisions. And, um, and I had this opportunity, but I always felt that no matter what, I, you know, I could always go back and do what I did before. And mm-hmm. if, I, if I didn't take a chance and, and try to work in, in the industry that I've always had so much passion for, you know, I'd never forgive myself. And, you know, here we are, I guess it's uh, going on 13 years later now. Um, and it's been an amazing run. You know, you think about what, what we did as a, uh, you know, when I first started, probably the first couple of years I was with West Point, uh, our big horses were Macho again, an awesome gem back in 2008, 2009. And, and you're running, running second in the Preakness and, and, you know, being involved in that race, the famous Rachel Alexander uh, Woodward with Macho again. And, you know, it's one of those that, you know, when you're going to spend the rest of your uh, days going to Saratoga, that they play a race where you lose by a nose over and over and over again. It kind of gets a little old, but, you know, and, and now, I, you know, I've become very good friends with Tom Durkin over the years and, and Tom and I will go to lunch and people that, oh, that was the greatest race call. I'm like, enough already with Rachel Alexandra. <laughs> Just something that's going to continue to haunt you. Yeah, but, for, forever, you know. So, yeah. But it's, it's, 
been uh, it's been an amazing ride. You know, we have we have over 500 active partners in our horses now, Acacia, and mm-hmm. and really, I've kind of changed my philosophy a little bit about what we do. It used to be, you know, it's always been that it's an entertainment model that, you know, it's a lifestyle and entertainment model to get people involved in something at maybe a little higher level they could do on their own or, or just give them a chance to have the opportunity to be inside the velvet rope and, and enjoy those moments. Mm -hmm. And, and whether it's in the paddock or whether it's in the stables in the morning or, or whatever, whatever works for the individual. But I really, uh, I really have taken an approach that this is kind of like getting involved with a season ticket for a couple of years to your favorite team. Because, you know, when you, when you buy season tickets, let's say I'm a New Yorker, if I bought New York giant uh, football tickets, you know, I know I'm going to get to go to X amount of games. Um, They're going to win some, they're going to lose some. Maybe Mm -hmm. if they do good, there'll be playoffs. And at the end, I really shouldn't expect any money back. Hopefully I had a good time and I met a lot of great people. And that's kind of how I look at it. Um, if yeah. I always say, if your horse breaks even uh, financially, you had the greatest time known to man because you know the, <laughs> the economics of it um, are not a, are not something I ever let anybody get involved with thinking, oh, this is something uh, financially I should do a wise financial investment. It's really something that you have to have a little passion for, and mm-hmm. and it's not for everybody. Usually, um, you'll find in a year or two that some people are like, hey, that was fun. I don't want to do that again. Or some people determine, you know what, I just don't have the stomach for this. All this bad news and things that happen, it's just not for me. But on the other end of the spectrum, you're going to have people that, you know what, this changed my life. I, I met people through West Point Thoroughbreds, or I met people through horse racing who are the, who are now my lifelong friends, who I vacation with. Mm-hmm. who uh, And I the stories like that um, keep me going. I mean, I, I really believe yeah. there's there's hundreds and hundreds of people that have gotten together in, in friendships and and almost like brotherhood of, of just being owners and horses together. And, you know, what's the old saying? There's something about the uh, outside of a horse that's good for the inside of a man or mm-hmm. something like that. And I, and I truly believe yeah. that, you know. It is so true. And it is amazing the relationships and, and the places horses take you. I mean, speaking for myself, I never expected to go to places like Dubai or Hong Kong and and horses brought me there. Um, and it is, I couldn't agree with you more about what it can give you in that experience. And we've seen West Point growing a lot, being, you know, one of the bigger bidders um, now over the past few years at the sales. We just had the two-year-old Phasic Tipton uh, Timonium sale where West Point went for $1.5 million for a quality road cult among some other nice purchases. But tell me a little bit about that cult in particular, Tom, and about some of the horses that you are looking to uh, add to your roster for West Point. What is going to make you bid a little bit more for some of those top quality ones and, and what are some of those features that you're looking to add? Well, it's, it's, it, it's really amazing how, you know, how things have grown and changed over the last 10 years, Acacia. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in the old days, it was Terry raising his arm and me jumping on his back, pulling his arm down, uh, <laughs> trying not him, not to get him to bid on, on these type of horses. Um, but, you know, I think our, our industry in, as a whole has changed, uh, and, the, and definitely in the sales world. Um, we, we see a lot of partnerships outside of the partnership, so to speak, develop. I, I guess the first one that really impacted West Point 
in a big way um, was uh, the relationship with Vinnie Viola, Vinnie and Teresa Viola mm-hmm. and St. Elias. Um, you know, we bought in on Ring Weekend, and he was, I think, a three hundred or three hundred fifty thousand dollar yearling at Saratoga, which for us at that time was a really big deal. That was that was like, it was a tap it, and mm-hmm. it was like holy cow, we're we're in the big leagues. And we bought another horse named Freedom Child, who was a Malibu Moon yearling at the same sale. Uh, I think it was a year earlier. But those type of alliances allowed us to maybe play at a little higher level. And I guess that all culminated back at OBS a couple of years ago when uh, we bought Chestertown for $2 million. And, you know, the breeder was stayed involved, Mr. Broman. You know, that was a horse he bred not to sell. I think he, he was originally going to, you know, all of his stock at that time, he was looking to race. And, you know, life changes, things change. So uh, to be able to form those alliances and, and buy some of these bigger horses uh, was pretty exciting. But it really, you know, it's it's you're finding a delicate balance, Acacia, because that isn't our true bread and butter. You know, our bread and butter is still that fifteen to twenty thousand dollar for five percent purchase. Uh, people all across the country, you know, we have close to eighty horses, and we run on all the major circuits. So when we're buying, we're trying to place horses in our mind that are going to be hey, we're going to go to California. And, you know, we've developed some great relationships with uh, the Hironis family through David and Gordo and John Sadler. Um, And, you know, we bought a number of big horses with them out there. And obviously the the one that's in the news right now would be uh, Flightline, um, the really exciting son of Tappet we bought two years ago at, uh, at Fazig here in Saratoga. And, you know, he, he debuted, you know, there'd been a lot of talk about Flightline for probably about six months. When he left the Mayberry Farm in Ocala, they were saying, you know, they were like making Zenyatta type comparisons, which, you know, wow. you hear and then you're like, oh, God, the California hype machine or this and that. When you're an East Coast guy, every 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 horse Bob Baffert debuts is going to be the next greatest horse of all time. But um, for that horse to debut the way he did and, and run the number that he did, I believe he, he had 105 buyer and uh, an incredible sheet number. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that you're like, wow, maybe, maybe this is our Seattle slew. Maybe this is our horse that just is, is just that gifted. And, uh, but only time tells, you know, time will tell. But the, back to your original question, I mean, those alliances have allowed us to buy, you know, these type of horses. And last week in Timonium, you know, I knew I was in trouble when I met Terry uh, at the hotel the day before the Black Eyed Susan, and we were running Lady Traveler and the Black Eyed Susan and Jackson Traveler the next day in uh, the Chick Lang. And the first thing Terry said to me was, you have to see this quality road colt that Eddie Woods has. <laughs> and I just went, well, we're running in the Black Eyed Susan tomorrow. He goes, I know, but this quality road colt. And I went, oh, God, here we go. But, uh, it was and he was right. I mean, anybody who saw the breeze and it was like the whole sale, as robust as it was, he was the horse everybody talked about. And for us to be able to uh, partner up um, with Lori Gervais racing, a client of Dallas Stewart's and a longtime friend of ours, uh, her late husband, Randy, was was just one of the kindest, nicest people you ever want to meet. And we we spent a lot of time together with them over the years. And uh, for her to get involved and and Terry had a new partner that was coming in, uh, I believe a West Pointer. Um, 
you know, we had the, we had the firepower to, to stay and, and quite honestly, thought it was going to go for more. I mean, there were a lot mm-hmm. of big hitters in the room. And, you know, the great thing about Timonium, it's not really huge and spacious. So you could look around and you saw, you know, Boyd Browning on the phone, the president of Phasing Tipton. You saw uh, uh, the gentleman who owned uh, Medina Spirit. He had four people mm-hmm. around him. You had Spendthrift. You had all all the players were there. So you were, you were ready for the fireworks. And uh, I think we got lucky. I mean, I, if you ever can be lucky buying a horse for $1.5 million, I think we are. <laughs> so he's already up at Churchill with Dallas. And, uh, you know, Dallas. Ha- Dallas's program is, is very straightforward. He'll tell you, you know, come summertime, he's thinking, I got to get, I want to get this horse's maiden broken in the, in the um, fall. And I want to take my swings at, at the fairgrounds to get to the Derby. And and it's, you know, a lot of people, one of the reasons he's in the Derby almost every year is because that's his attitude. He points towards it. Um, And, you know, some people really believe that you have to do that if you want to have horses in the Derby every year. Um, So it's really a fascinating uh, outlook and, um, and it's going to be a fun, a fun fall for us. I mean, we have a lot of horses right now that just knock on wood seem to be hitting their stride. And um, this, this coming weekend, we're going to see the return of first captain who is a, mm-hmm. a curling Colt that broke his maiden the same day as flight line, um, you know, going against older horses. So it's no, no layup, but uh, you know, he's an exciting horse and uh, you know, him with Shug, uh McGahee and one of the first horses we ever had with Chug which is you know as a like I said a Long Island kid growing up seeing uh, having a West Point horse with Chug McGahee is just about as exciting as it gets and uh a good buddy of mine after that horse ran said uh sent me a text and he said tell Chug to take route nine not the north way and I started laughing because it was you know an inference that Chug would rush a horse don't want to rush it take its time I go don't worry about that He's he's gotten all the big horses to all the big races in his career, so I'm not really worried. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's exciting and and two year old season, you know, kicking off now. I know, I, I believe is Kodama your first two year old of the season that that's going to be debuting. Aisha, or? no, no, that's right. You had a very impressive one a couple of weeks ago. Excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> Little How drama. did I forget that? <laughs> So the neat part about Little Drama was he debuted and it, it seemed it just fell apart into a three horse field. Um, yeah. But we were all at Timonium and we watched it in the, you know, that Sunday afternoon. We were all in the in the sales mm-hmm. pavilion. They put it up on the TV, uh, the low, you know, all the big tracks. And so Kendrick, the horse had been very professional, very forward. He's another one that uh, an Oklahoma bred son of Dramedy. Yeah that we picked up at OBS and uh, has just not done anything wrong at all since he got in Steve's program. He came from the Mayberries as well down in Ocala, uh, you know, an outfit that we we've had a lot of success with. And, you know, he, he broke on top. He, he just, you know, it was, it was a really beautiful race and you think, okay, it's a glorified workout until he comes back in 57 and he gets a, a buyer of 85 and a sheet number of like 13. And you're going, this is a, whole, a two-year-old in May, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but no, he's, uh, he was our first. And now um, Friday we'll debut uh, Kodama. She's mm-hmm. a filly that we bought in Europe as a yearling. Um, and the Clements have had her. I, I, well, she's with Eddie Woods until 
I want to say March, and we got her a little early down to uh, Christoph and Miguel at Payson, and and she's uh the quote is she's speedy, talented, and a little naughty. So <laughs> we'll we'll just have to see how we go. Uh, Wesley Ward has a couple of real uh, expensive horses that came from OBS mm-hmm. March in the race, but uh, and they've been they've been firing on all cylinders in New York with uh, for Wesley. But um, you know I know. Uh, Christoph and Miguel and, and Christoph L'Oreal all uh, all like this Philly and, and we're hoping for, for good things. And and who knows, maybe uh, one of these days we'll get a nice Philly and we'll end up going to Ascot. That would be fun. Um, and and you, you said that you bought her in Europe and that's kind of been a theme that I've been talking a lot about my show is, you know, tapping into those European bloodlines and, and bringing them to run over here in the U.S. Obviously, We've talked about some of the sales here in New York and the Mid-Atlantic and being active there and OBS, but how important is that? And what's that kind of new experience like been tapping into some of those European bloodlines to race here in the U.S.? Yeah, I think, I mean, listen, we're always looking for diversity. I, I actually, sure. yesterday I had a conversation with Terry. We, we ran through the, I think we've bought 35 horses so far that are in our 35 or 36 in our two-year-old class that's net that you know between yearlings and two-year-olds so far Mm -hmm. and i want to say we've gone to like 33 different sires you know and that's that's pretty amazing in this commercial market to have that much diversity um and i think the the european bloodlines are a it's something that's very palatable to our our partner base people love the euros that you know every time Mm -hmm. we bought a horse um from europe and brought him to the states uh, even as a ready-made, a horse that might have run already uh, with Kristoff um, with or with Grand Motion, we've had great success selling those horses. And um, I, I just think that there's a fascination um, with, with racing in Europe and those pedigrees that people are, just love to see something a little different and, and learn. I mean, we, we, have a, we bought her, uh, Kodama, who is a Kodiak filly, and uh, the next month we bought a um, – a colt, a baited breath colt, who's named Bassiano, uh, who's still down in Ocala. But, you know, he was um, he was a horse that, you know, baited breath I didn't know much about. And right. sure enough, then Breeders' Cup, he, you know, baited breath is everywhere. And then on on uh, Preakness uh, Derby Day, excuse me, Brian Lynch had a baited breath that uh, that won on the grass and uh, in the stake. So it was, you know, all of a sudden you're starting to see um, we're a copycat industry a lot of times, and you see mm-hmm. Seth Claremont and Peter Brandt going over there, and Peter Brandt obviously has horses in Europe as well, but um, Seth Claremont buying Claravich Stable, buying horses for America and Chad Brown training and the success they're having, you know, there's, there's absolutely no reason why we wouldn't want to go. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I would say the pandemic has put a, a little bit of a a monkey wrench in it, but I would say going forward, we'll we'll continue to explore the European markets. I wanted to ask you about your relationship with some of the consigners that, and maybe pre-training farms or or other groups that you work with before horses get to the racetracks. I know you've mentioned Eddie Woods, for instance, several times. I know you have a great relationship with him. How important is that? And having somebody that you trust, you know, before these horses are even two-year-olds, for instance. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating um, part of the game, Acacia, because, mm-hmm. you know, loyalty is loyalty. We're very loyal in general. Terry's a very loyal guy in general. Um, and 
you know, over the years, we've used a number of different outfits, all super, super in their own right. I mean, we were with David McCathan uh, for mm-hmm. a long time down at the Gallops, and we, we went in South Carolina as well with uh, Kip Elzer's Kirkwood Farm, mm-hmm. um, and they do just, him and Helen just do wonderful work. Um, and I think part of it is, you know, we've been with Eddie now five or six years. I think what we determined was we needed to be in Ocala more mm-hmm. than just from a from our model of p- partnership people being able to access you know we're close to disney world a lot of people want to go on vacation <laughs> it wasn't easy to get people to south carolina even though they got treated like royalty if they did go at, right. at kirkwood but um it was just more important for us geographically to be that way and and you know it's an it's a part of the industry that you really need to be with the front runner because you know when when Things are going good. Like Eddie Woods' program is is one of the most impressive things you've ever seen. I mean, he's got 150, 170 horses there, and it goes like clockwork. I mean, it's so mm-hmm. organized. But they also, you know, they have the best help, and they have the best facilities, and they have, um, you know, you don't have to worry that if all of a sudden two, two people didn't show up for work that day, that horses wouldn't get to go out or things like that. I mean, Eddie, Eddie is... Uh, you know, he's been a really great addition to our team over the last few years. Um, you know, I've learned a lot watching him. He's he's not going to get hustled into moving a horse along just because of the price or, you know, like, our horses, when we first started with Eddie, our, our horses were like the, the evil stepchildren. I mean, we were, we were nowhere near. He had all the, all the big hitters in the industry um, at his farm. So it wasn't like we were coming in there and we were going to, uh, you know, we need this and we need that. It was, you know, we were yes, Mr. Woods, <laughs> kill whatever you want, Mr. Woods. And, you know, when it comes to consigners and people you buy from, I think that it's, um, it's the same way. I mean, you know, we buy a lot of horses from Eddie. We buy a lot of horses from um, David McCathan, who we've had a relationship with 25 mm-hmm. years. You know that the horses are, are broken, the Mayberries as well, that David has kind of in- introduced us to over the years. And all your big outfits, your Nick Demerics, your Niall Brennans, you know, all of all of the people. Stevie Venosa is another one that we mm-hmm. we've had a great relationship with, and um, you know those type relationships help you avoid big mistakes. You know, it's like buying a car. If you were going to buy a car and you've had good luck with one guy, you're going to go back to him a little more than the guy that you bought and maybe you had a, bought a lemon from. Absolutely. It makes perfect sense. Well, Tom, I loved having you on today. Um, Best of luck with all of the runners coming up. Thanks for letting me pick your brain a bit. And hopefully we have a, a big summer, some more big winners, and we can have you on again sometime. Very happy to be joined now by Walker Hancock from Claiborne Farm. Walker, thanks for taking the time today. Thank you for having me on, Keisha. Obviously, Walker, uh, uh, Claiborne is a iconic name um, in the world of horse racing, and you and your family have been involved for many generations. Tell me a little bit about your day-to-day uh, job, I guess you could say. I, mean, I know you do a million different things, as many people in the industry do, and and how special it is to be doing it with the name Claiborne Farm. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of pressure uh, trying to keep mm-hmm. it going on. Fifth generation horseman, fourth generation of my family to run the farm. So um, I'm just trying to do my best and learn something new every day. It's it's fun though. I mean, um, it, it, there's a different challenge brought upon me every day. It seems like you know we just finished foaling season, so we're glad that's behind us. But we're still have another month or so of breeding season 
Um, once that finishes, we kind of settle down into the summer racing and then we start sales prep, uh, first of July. And then we got the September sale and then Keeneland fall again. And then mm -hmm. November brings the Breeders' Cup and fall sales. So, you know, it, it's always fun. And it, with every season, there's always a, something different going on. So it doesn't get stale and, um, it, you know, at least you, you have plenty of energy to, to attack the day. And it, and it never ends. Like you said, there's always something else happening. And, um, obviously the, the farm does pretty much everything. And, and you mentioned a couple of those things. Um, tell me a, li a little bit about, uh, some of the stallions that you do stand at Claiborne farm and, and are supporting and some of those big names, or maybe some of the newer ones that we may not, may not be as familiar with. Yeah. So Warfront's our stalwart. Um, mm -hmm. he's doing great. Uh, having another solid year. He usually picks up about this time of year once the turf racing really gets going and the firm, and the uh, turf is firm. So um, we're hopeful he has a big summer leading up to the um, fall sales. Obviously, we're excited about Mastery's first mm -hmm. uh, crop two-year-olds. They are just starting to run. Um, still a little early, but uh, you know I've heard that they seem to be kind of the later later type. They think they're going to be going to be fall two-year-olds, which mm -hmm. I like better because it, it those <laughs> those kinds seem to usually last and 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 run on. So. Um, we're excited about him. Catholic boys, first foals are on the ground. Um, we love what we've seen from them. Um, and, uh, yeah, just blames doing well. He, he's mm -hmm. having another good year and flatters, uh, he's as steady as they come. He's done it the hard ways. Um, you know, made it from the bottom and now he's, now he's a solid sire. So with the mm -hmm. second, the Oaks, I really thought search results was gonna get, a, mm -hmm. uh, get by that Philly, but, uh, she hung on tough for second and, uh, I think she'll have a big summer as well. So the Stallions are doing great. Like I said, we're nearing the end of breeding season, and um, they've all had a good year. You have War of Will, who's a son of Warfront, and then he and Catholic Boy are kind of similar in that they're both grade one winners on turf and dirt. How how special is that to be able to have some Stallions like that, including one that's a son of your stalwart? Yeah, I mean, we're hoping Warfront, uh, War of Will, excuse me, um, he'll, mm -hmm. he'll follow in his dad's footsteps and hopefully become the next big st uh, stallion here well we hope that for all the young ones but uh sure. for him because as warfront he obviously has some age to him now he's uh 19 years old so um but we're hopeful that his son who like you said grade one place at two uh he, he's a grade six let's see he's a classic champ classic yeah. winner on dirt at, at three winning the preakness and then he's a grade one winner at four on turf so he offers a lot of versatility for beards and as you said so does kathy boy and i think that's really what breeders want these days um with turf racing kind of becoming more popular and a lot more purse money being thrown at that, I think these we're going to need some turf stallions here mm -hmm. in America. And um, I think those two could definitely um, could suit many mares and, and be potentially good sires on dirt and turf. With War of Will being a son of Warfront, have you noticed any similarities uh, to Warfront, maybe physical or, or mentality in some of uh, what you've seen from him thus far? He looks just like Warfront, just with a little more leg and stretch, which if you knock the Warfront falls or, or yearlings or whatever, it's sometimes it can be a little short coupled and like more stockier sprinter type. Um, but War of Will has he's has uh, longer legs and a little, like I said, a little more stretch and, and height to him. He stands uh, about 16'2 or so, so he's plenty big enough. And I think if he can throw Warfront's ability with a little more size, I, I think yeah. guys a limit for him. That's an exciting thought for sure. Um, talk to me a little bit about the run happies. Of course, uh, Jim McInvale, we, we love him in the world of racing. He's been so supportive of promoting the stallion. And we've really seen the run happies picking up a lot um, in this second season for him. They're really flourishing this time of year. Yeah, he didn't have 
the greatest two-year-old season last year, as as we all know. But um, he already has a two-year-old winner for Wesley Ward that won impressively at Belmont a few days ago. And yeah, he, he following C, I know they're really high on him. He's going to run in the uh, Woody Stevens, I believe, on Belmont mm-hmm. Day. So that would be an exciting day and potentially a huge day for Ron Happy. You know, he he really got hot his three-year-old summer, and it appears that uh, some of the Ron Happies are just now coming in on themselves. And I'll tell you what, um, we've obviously supported him heavily, and um, I would honestly say his best crop of foals that he's had are the ones we currently have. So okay. he has four full books coming, and um, he'll have plenty of our, uh, chances to uh, make it as a, as a stallion. You mentioned some of the intrigue as far as turf stallions here in America and how we've seen the rise of turf racing. You have Demarchier, who's by Dubawi, obviously a, a huge name in European breeding. Tell me a little bit about that and what you think his influence might be. He's really stamping his horses. And yeah, like we touched on, we need some turf stallions here in America. And he has every right to be uh, a great turf sire here. He's out of a huge European female family. He's by one of the greatest sires in the world in Dubawi. Uh, and they've shown that they can run on dirt and turf. So uh, he is a little more turfy looking stallion, but um, I really, I really believe, um, I, or I, I hope he could be a commercial turf stallion. That's kind of the knock against the turf stallions right now, but mm-hmm. um, he's really stamping his foals. And uh, like I said, we've, he's going to he bred 102 mares this first year. So he'll have a chance to, uh, to make it uh, in a couple couple years. Well, we also see Claiborne sales graduates and, and you mentioned, you know, there's always a thought with sales season in the back of your mind. Tell me a little bit about the the mindset of some of the horses that are raised at Claiborne Farm and heading to those sales and placing them and, and what that kind of process is like, because obviously you're involved from the very beginning of their lives. Yeah. I mean, our goal here is to race champion racehorses. Um, mm-hmm. I think sometimes the knock on us is we don't really prep them very well because we just kind of let them be horses and, and let them kind of fill into themselves and, and don't really push them, which it kind of hurts us at the sales. But in the end we, I mean, I feel like we do as good as a job as anyone is, is raising racehorses. And I think our, our history shows that. Um, so yeah, we're going to start sales prep here. First of July. Um, we have right now, I think 61 catalog for September. Um, and we are excited um, with our stock this year. I, I think we have a couple of really nice, nice horses, a couple by Warfront that we're really high on. And um, I, we're hopeful for the uh, the market will be strong and mm-hmm. looking forward to, to the sales. We also, of course, have the, the broodmares. Um, this is always a, a side of things that I feel like we don't see maybe as much of. The stallions get all the love, too. But um, tell me a little bit about the broodmare band and, and how important the broodmares are to your operation in general. Um, like I said, I feel like we, we often see the stallions in the spotlight. But, of course, the damn side is a hugely important piece as well. Yeah. Like you said, the stallions get all the accolades, but the dams mm-hmm. are just as important. You have to have good producing solid, solid, uh, uh, mares to, to make a good racehorse. And, um, mm-hmm. we feel like we have a few here at the farmer. We're, we're pretty high on a late, obviously has a nice, uh, um, full Philly that we like and Lowell, who's one of our better runners in the past couple of years. Um, she has a quality road colt that we love. That's a yearling and a curling colt that we love. That's a foal. So, um, you know, I, I know my grandfather always said your broodmares are, um, in, in your stout, you know, they're half your herd because they put in half the genetics into the horse, just like, uh, uh, the stallions do. So they're just as important and they don't receive near as much, uh, uh, maybe the, the fame that the stallions do. Mm-hmm. 
Well, how is that having horses like Elate and Lull who are so good on the racetrack and of course raced for Claiborne Farm as well coming back uh, to then get a chance to see their offspring? Is that really special when you've gotten a chance to see their accolades on track, you know, for you and then you bring them back to that broodmare band? It is. It's really cool, you know, because they uh, were obviously both born on the farm too. So, you know, mm-hmm. I follow them um, now as foals, as weanlings, yearlings, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and now now mares, uh, moms. So it's really cool to see their progression, um, how they change over the years. And uh, both, you know, are so classy. Um, they obviously had immense amount of talent, both of them. And um, they're they're off to great starts as brew mares. They're, they're great mothers. And um, it's, just, it's so special to have a, a, a horse that you, you raise and you race, and then they come back and now they're the moms. It's their turn to mm-hmm. do their uh, once mother's jobs. Obviously, as we talked about at the start, you've been um, involved in Claiborne Farm, your family, for generations. And we know that there are a lot of thoroughbred farms in Kentucky. What do you think um, makes Claiborne Farm something that's different, something special? I mean, it's kind of cliche to say, but we really do put the horse first. Um, mm-hmm. We uh, kind of have our motto is do the usual and usually well. Um, mm-hmm. We've done it for over 110 years now, and uh, it's really just about doing the simple things uh, right and just letting the horses and taking good care of the horses and letting, um, you know, their success speak for themselves. Just we um, try and put them in the greatest position to succeed. And um, I, I, you know, we don't have fancy facilities or castles as barns, but um, mm-hmm. they obviously get the job done and um, we just put the horses first and, and the rest is history. They say. One thing we do know, too, is that, you know, you're very welcome to fans coming looking for a tour at Cleburne Farm and getting a chance to see how the horses live. How important is that to your operation and and just in welcoming in the public in that way? Yeah, it's cool. In 2019, before the pandemic, we had about 10,000 visitors um, that came through our gates uh, to go on tours. Uh, We've and since enhanced our tours a little bit. We built a visitor center. We have we offer like a shuttle tour that will take you throughout the farm. You can see more about the day in the life of the horses um, outside just the stallions in the graveyard, um, which that's been a big success. Um, and yeah, you never know when the next big owner is going to maybe be a kid here and they're going to remember that they had a great time at Cleveland Farm and how cool it was. And maybe one day they'll want to own horses. So you never know when the next next fan or, or owner is going to come from and you know, our tours kind of started with Secretariat back in the 70s mm-hmm. because there was such a, he had such a following that the need was there for his fans to come greet him and see him. So we've kind of built on it from there and uh, we take pride in our tours. And I, um, I know that we always get a lot of great responses and people really appreciate uh, us opening our gates for them. One thing I love about Claiborne is that you really focus a lot on, on aftercare as well. Um, you know, for those that do need a second home after racing or if they are, are not competitive enough, and I know Dell Hancock has been really involved in that. How important is that aftercare element? It's vital. And we have to do a better job of getting that message out there that these animals are actually very well taken care of from the point they're born through their race career and then towards the end of their life. Um, you know, we have two huge pastures of retired mares and we have a a barn full of retired geldings um, that, you know, they get to live their life out as horses. Some of them are trail trail riders. Some of them uh, we sell, you know, we give to hunter jumper people and mm-hmm. they go on and have other great successful careers. But, um, and then, you know, once obviously Mary reaches the end of her produce record, she gets to live out her life here at Claiborne and hang out with all of her friends. So 
Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's very important aftercare and, um, it's, I can't, can't stress enough how important it is to our industry. From the time, you know, you were young, I, I know you've been around horses. Is there maybe one horse or one moment that really has impacted you or stood out to you or left a lasting impression? Blame has a soft spot in my heart. Uh, <laughs> I, I helped raise him as a yearling that summer. I worked with the yearling. He was in my barn. So I got to know him from an early age and follow his career closely. And then he obviously turned out to be the horse that he did and the only horse to ever beat Zenyatta and uh, comes back here and has a successful career as a stallion. So I'll always have a soft spot for him. And um, yeah, that Breeders' Cup Classic uh, will be a night I'll, I'll never forget for many reasons. What was that feeling like to, to see him beat Zenyatta um, in the Breeders' Cup Classic? And I'm sure, you know, people weren't very happy with you <laughs> at that at that moment. But what was that feeling like? Yeah, it was pretty surreal. I mean, um, I think we were like the only people in the whole place out of like 100,000 people that were cheering. And people were <laughs> like, how could you possibly be happy right now? Not knowing the connections. But um, right. yeah, I mean, I knew he could do it. He um he, he, he was such a great racehorse and, um, yeah, I mean, he got death threats after the race and we had, wow. uh, we had to hire extra security just for him. Cause we were worried that someone was like oh going to come to the farm on, you know, during the night and harm him. So wow. we had like an extra layer. So he, he had his own bodyguards for like a year <laughs> after the, <British laughs> Cup. um, but yeah, that's, uh, that was definitely a night that will go down in horse racing history. It was, mm-hmm. I was crazy. And now he's turned out to be a fantastic stallion that has to be even more rewarding to see him back it up then too yeah absolutely and i really think some of his better years are ahead of him um he's still somewhat young i mean he should have uh, another five or eight years of left of, uh, of being a good stallion and you know he's only 15 uh yeah he's 15 so mm-hmm. you know uh he's got a good crop of, of yearlings and, and foals coming so um I, I think he'll continue to get better We'll always look forward to seeing the Blames and the Warfronts and all of the stallions uh, that we talked about out on the track. A huge fan of the breeding operation and the ones that we do see raised at Claiborne Farm. And I appreciate you taking the time today, Walker. It was nice talking with you. Yeah, it was good talking to you too. And the Blame Stakes is this weekend at Churchill. So that's a perfect segue. Named the race after him. So uh, we're excited about that. And I think we even have a horse entered in it. So we'll hopefully we'll, uh, to win the Blame Stakes on Saturday at Churchill. And that'll do it for another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. A big thank you to my guests, Tom Bellhouse and Walker Hancock. If you're listening, hope that you uh, take some time to go ahead and check out Claiborne Farm and West Point Thoroughbreds, learn a little bit more about these two great organizations. And um, I hope that you enjoyed as much as I did hearing from those individuals about all of the different sides of racing, of buying horses, breeding them, everything that goes into it. And I think that's been a big theme with this show is that it's so much more than just raising your hand in the auction ring. Everything that goes into it from the very beginning of a horse's life through their racing career, raising them, watching them compete, and then bringing them back for their breeding career. It's all cyclical in the world of horse racing as uh, as with many things for sure. But uh, as always, head on over to the In The Money Media website, check out the newsletter, all of the different content that my colleagues have available for you on there. Make sure to check it out. And next week, we will have some good stuff leading up to the Belmont Stakes. Of course, Belmont Stakes, the final leg of the Triple Crown. 
crown. Um, while we will have no triple crown winner this year, there is a big competitive field, a lot of excitement to look forward to there, and also all of those good undercard races as well. But we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. For now, thank you for joining me on this edition of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. As always, please feel free to share this with people that you think may enjoy it and send me any recommendations of things you'd like to learn about or people you may like to hear from. Till next time, I'm Acacia Courtney.